Daniel chapter 3, verses 14 through 30 is where we'll be at this morning. Now you'll remember where we left off at here while you're finding your place. Uh, we had this image set up by the king. It was a uh, you know, 90 foot tall, huge, humongous statue. cost an enormous amount of resources financially to erect this large statue. And the king had put a decree out that every nation, everyone was going to come together and bow down and worship this image. We talked a lot about that. And so uh, then we had uh, a few of the Jews that had decided they were going to refuse to worship uh, this image. They were not going to bow down to it. They were not going to worship it. They were not going to compromise. They were not going to bend it all on what they knew was right. And so they refused to worship the, the king's image that he had set up. And then, uh, and then we've seen there in those verses 8 through 13 that they had been accused to the king by certain Chaldeans um, telling the king, hey, you know, these people are... You've got a mutiny on your hands, king. They're not going to bend. They're not going to worship. They're going to publicly embarrass you. They have contempt of you. They're disrespecting you. And that's where we pick up at here in verse 14. And I'll begin to read. The scripture says this, Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now, if ye be ready, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made, well, but if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hand? So he's basically telling them, you know, if you want to change your mind now and you want to you want to put twice the show of worship that you did in rebellion, then hey, we're going to be good and I'll go ahead and pardon. That's what he's saying. But if you don't, you're going in the furnace. Look at this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. Don't you love that? If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. What boldness in that statement, amen? That took some courage. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it, than it was, was wont to be heated. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace, then these men were bound in their coats, their hosen, and their hats, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent, and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire 
slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So it was so hot that when he, they threw them in, the ones that were serving the king, the Chaldeans that were throwing them in the furnace, they burnt up. We're going to talk about that in a second too. That's pretty interesting. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was astonished and rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Doesn't that make you want to shout, Amen, Hallelujah, Praise God? I'll stop off there for a minute, and then we'll do those last few verses in a minute. So, this is where we start out in verse 14, the accused is standing before the king, and you know what? They've been accused of staying faithful to God. If there's anything I want to be accused of, it's faithfulness to the Lord. Amen? And I'll tell you what, I, I would set out to have that charge on my record. Um, that's one that it's okay. It's okay to be accused of being faithful to God. And you know what? If you're faithful to God, I'm sure some kind of accusation will come your way eventually, if it hasn't already, for, for being faithful to God, okay? So I think this is interesting. I want to kind of present a few things to you. One, the king's asking, is it true? Now, as we talked here in verses 8 through 13, um, the accusation was brought to the king. The king didn't notice until those Chaldeans went and told the king. He caught that, right? It was the Chaldeans that went before the king and said, King, you got a problem. These Jews in the land, the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego... They're not bowing down and worshiping, right? So I want to point this out to you. The same Chaldeans that spent their entire lives serving the king are now watching Jews getting promoted to power and influence before them. Do you catch that? I want you to consider that, that angle here. These Chaldeans have been serving faithfully to the king. It's a normal, natural human nature that when you put forth effort in reverence to somebody and you serve whether it's a boss king whatever you serve you do the work you put in your time you expect to be promoted these jews have been brought in from captivity they've been brought in from jerusalem what right do they have to be promoted in the land of the chaldeans amen Am I capturing the emotion behind it? I can't believe I've served this king my whole life. I've, I've, I've put in the work and now this Daniel comes in and he's in charge of everything and he's just a Jew. Didn't we just bring them into captivity? So now there's envy involved and now they've gone to the king because they want to see those Jews get destroyed. Or they're going to follow the rules like everybody else. I believe there's a proverb that says, who can stand before envy? Amen? So the Chaldeans have brought to citation the very law that the king made. They're, pulling, they're, they're pointing out to the king his own decree. King, you passed the law. 
We didn't make the law. You did. And your law says that if any doesn't bow down and worship the image out of all languages, nations, and people, that they're going to burn for it. And here are these Jews. They're not doing it. What good is it to make a law that isn't enforced? Right? And I think maybe our nation could learn something from the principles here. If some get a pass to violate it, confusion is created in the midst of the hearts of everyone else. See what I'm saying? They're appealing out of conventional wisdom that isn't all the way out of place. If you're going to make the rule, if you're going to make the law king, everyone's got to follow it. Because if some people get a pass, then everyone else, it just creates more problems. Now, what they didn't factor into this situation is God's people are to obey rules and laws and kings and magistrates until what they're being asked to do is sin. Once we are asked to sin against our God, at that point, we respectfully, we don't make a scene, we don't riot, we don't burn down cities, we just say respectfully, not doing that. Don't you know what we're going to do? Don't care, because my God will take care of me. Amen? We're not going to do that. And so here, um, I find kind of some interesting principles here. If you think about the law, all right? What they're appealing to from their uh, human nature is the idea that if you're going to have a law, it should apply to everyone and it should be enforced on everyone because that gives somebody the sense of justice, right? And equity. In our country, we practice equal protection of the laws. It's what's called a due process constitutional right. Doesn't apply to presidents that they don't like, but it applies, it should apply to everyone else. You catch that? Um, when you apply law differently for one person than you do for another person, it creates a sense of injustice with the person who's negatively affected. Would any disagree with that? Do you know what that principle points us to, though? Did God not make a moral law called the commandments? Think about that. And so it does point to God's justice. And so man created in the image of God, even in his natural nature, has an understanding of right and wrong, has a moral conscience. Even the Bible tells us the Gentiles, those that were without law, when they do the things contained in the law or a law unto themselves. What is he talking about? The fact that we have a human conscience, our conscience is given to us from God. As a compass. And so the sense of justice here is that a law applies to everyone. And so while the law of God was given to the Jews, we learn in the New Testament that the law of God, the justice of God requires that any man who has broken that law, they're under condemnation of, of, of violating the law. Amen. So the purpose of the law of Moses, the law makes all guilty before God. Right? God doesn't have a different standard for you and for me today. God requires the same from every human being. The same law of God applies to the Palestinians and to Israel and to the Gentiles. 
The minute any one of us, whether you live in China, Africa, Asia, Alaska, can doesn't matter where in the world you live, the minute you break one of those commandments, you've broken the law of God, you're guilty before God, and there's a price that has to be paid for it. Because man should naturally understand, just as these Chaldeans, they didn't know God, and they certainly didn't know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Joseph, but they understood the concept of equity and justice. And then if you're going to make a law, it must be applied fairly and nobody gets a free pass. Well, God has done that. He created the commandments and none of us get a free pass. Simple. The punishment for sin is the same for all of us. And the solution for sin is the same for all of us. Jesus Christ. He paid the price. He fulfilled the law. He's our substitutionary sacrifice. He took our place on Calvary. The full wrath of God against our sin was carried out on Jesus. And so God has created a fair and equitable and a just pathway for forgiveness for any who will repent and accept Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? The same law that convicts us all, guess what? The same Savior can save us all. What a beautiful, beautiful thing that we can find anywhere in the scriptures. But there's something else that jumped out at me here. I thought that was a good one. Or something else that it struck me with these Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now these Chaldeans had brought the accusations there to the king. But you know what? You can be assured that Daniel did not worship that image. You can be assured of that, right? Here's the thing. At this time, when these, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which we know Daniel's companions, at the time that they are brought, this accusation is brought uh, to the king, Daniel's already very well known because he just interpreted that dream. Amen? Daniel's got a reputation. Daniel's already been promoted. I want to give you this. Daniel is known to speak with so much wisdom at this time that I don't, I don't think they dared accuse him even if he didn't bow down to the image. And the reason I say that is because they're bringing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego assuming that these three pious Jews were less capable of influence with the king. I think part of them is saying, we really don't want Daniel to be the one representing the other side in this matter because he may just change the king's mind and find some way. You see what I'm saying? He had more influence. And so I believe that the other three were um, kind of, uh, I guess they thought were an easier target here. But the three um, were also in high positions of influence in the kingdom. So at the same time, it points out this fact to us. And I think this is what they're appealing to with the king as well. If those at the top don't follow any rules, why should anyone else? Right. Does that make sense? They're pointing out if, if the by their by association king, these men have influence in the kingdom. They're Daniel's companions. Um, uh, they're, you know, they're, they're you, you've given them a position here where everybody sees them, everybody knows them, everybody knows who they are. And if they're not following the rules, it's gonna just trickle down and become a big, bigger problem than it is. And so that's when the king comes in and offers this resolution. If they'll change their mind, worship the image for all to see, then they will be pardoned. But if they persist in their refusal, 
they're going to burn. So these three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we see them here in the Bible. You can, you can find this uh, also in, in Hebrews, in the, the chapter we call the, the Hall of Faith, right? But these three are champions of the faith. They stand their ground not to worship the idol. They did not seek this martyrdom, but were what when summoned to fiery trial, they stood bravely. Are we ready to stand bravely if we're summoned to a fiery trial in our personal walk with the Lord? Amen? Are you prepared for that to happen? Church, we may be getting close to that happening. It feels that way, does it not? Um, I tell you, I, I'm the, the anti... Uh, the anti-Israel situation in some of our bigger cities like Chicago and New York is really is really developing. And so I want you to understand this. Dispensationalist Christians, that's what we are, okay? We believe in the dispensations of the Bible, right? Um, I didn't know how many people don't believe in dispensational. Dispensationalism is a, is, can I give you this? It's a methodology of how we study the Bible. We see it divided by dispensations, right? A lot of people don't believe that anymore. I, I mean, a lot, most do, but a lot don't. But let me give you this. Dispensational Christians, which would be um, a lot of our more conservative churches that believe in a literal interpretation of Scripture, except where they can be spiritually applied and used, um, we believe that it is our duty to support Israel. Amen? We believe the covenants of the Bible. And so we are actually looked at as enemies in the eyes of many of these people who are supporting this stuff against Israel, okay? And I, you know, I've, it troubles me to think people are cheering on Hamas after everything that they did, um, but it doesn't surprise me. And I don't think it should surprise anybody, right? But I want you to understand this. If we see terrorist attacks in our country, as this thing evolves over there, you will see churches get attacked because we're grouped right in. Christian Judeo values, we're grouped right in to the same category, okay? So uh, don't, be, don't be ignorant to that. I just want us to, to, to think about the fact, you know, Lord, I don't really know what's coming my way. I'm about to take a truck to the Northeast. I'm not going to be far away from where a lot of this stuff is taking place in some of these cities. And I'm thinking, Lord, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm not going to worry about it. I just know that I, I'm thankful that I have a relationship with Christ, but in the event that I should stand trial for my faith or that anyone else should stand trial for their faith, I certainly hope you're prayed up and prepared um, for the reality that persecution is coming to um, Christians, especially dispensational theology Christians, and people will ask or they'll prod and they'll, they'll try to figure that out about you. Um, so continue to support Israel. Most of all, stay faithful for the gospel. Don't be surprised if you fall into a trial of your faith as a result of that. So this king offers them the resolution, tries to get them to change their mind. They're champions of faith. They stand their ground. They're brave in the way they do it. I mean, you see, we're not even careful to answer the O king. Uh, we're, we're not even going to... Uh, what, what does that mean? They're not even going to dance around the words. They're not even going to hesitate or, or kind of just a roundabout way. They're not going to try to put it politely. They're just going to tell them. But if not, 
Be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Period. Not doing it. All right, so stand your ground. Draw your line. I think there's a wise saying, we pick the hill that we die on when they're asking us to deny our faith. That's the hill, folks. That's probably where we draw that line. Amen. Um, let me give you this. What these three have done here by their statement to the king, and Lord, help us to, to, to cultivate this in our own walk. They displayed a complete contempt of death. They were not careful to answer the king in the matter. They knew what they were saying when they told the king. I mean, they knew what the implications were. They knew what the consequences would be. They knew what the decree was, and they understood that they were standing before a man that was angry, right? And then he meant what he said, and he was going to make sure that he made good on it. But you know what they did? They put all confidence in God and in his word, and by faith, they chose to suffer rather than break the second commandment of God. Thou shalt not worship idols. Amen. Shall have no other God besides, besides me, saith the Lord. So then they point this out to the king. Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. He certainly is. That's verse 17. He's able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. So they've made a, a declarative statement, a statement of faith. And they're, what they're showing in this statement, they know the capability of God. Amen? Do we live in such a way and express our faith in such a way that we show others that we believe in the capabilities of our God? Amen? Or do we carry ourselves in such a way that we act like we're really unsure about what God can do and will do and has done for us? We need to, to be confident in the capabilities of our God. Um, I think about that right now, even in this current situation. I have no idea what to expect with this situation with Israel. Because God's already doing things that are unbelievable. I, I, I watched this one thing. There was somebody who was fleeing from Hamas with his family in the car. And they were, they were firing machine guns into this vehicle. And they got away and made it through a roadblock that they had set up to stop them. And they got all the way through that thing and they all made it out alive. That's amazing. Only God can do that. Right? Only God can do that. And so while there's, you know, obviously we see death and things happening and it bothers, but you know what? God can be glorified in all of it and he will be glorified in it. But I just, I see things like that. I'm like, wow. Um, and what, what would be the purpose of the deliverance there is because God is using this situation so that the Jewish people in Israel are being brought back to remembrance of the promises that have been given to them through the covenants with Abraham. And they're going to see, because guess what? The dispensation of grace is almost done. We're going to be out of here. It's not going to be preachers preaching the gospel. They're going to have an everlasting gospel of the kingdom preached and all this other stuff that's going to happen after the church is gone. 
And there, I just see the whole state. People are starting. They got to start to thinking about the going to their God and turning back to God, just as we've seen Israel and the Jewish people do time and time again in Scripture. It's just amazing to watch. But the capability of God, no matter how bad it looks, how many enemies rally around Israel, that's all biblical. God is capable of giving them victory and delivering them. But here, just as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Not only do they express their faith in the capability of God, they accept the will of God that he may not deliver them, and that would be for the purpose of his glorification. They accept that as a possibility. Let it be known, King, they're going to deliver us. He's going to deliver us. But also know this, if for whatever reason he doesn't, we're still not worshiping, your images and idols and everything else. And it just shows, it basically, uh, let me summarize it like that. King, he's going to deliver us. If he doesn't, he'll be glorified. But guess what? He can deliver us if he wants to. It's up to God. And either way, whatever he decides, we're going to stay faithful to him. And so they accept that, it, that he, they may not be delivered. That would be for the purpose of God's glorification. But then he said, then they say this, um, and he will deliver us out of thine hand. And so I want to present this to you either way, no matter what God does, as they stand before the, the fiery trial of their faith, either way, either outcome, they're still delivered from the king's hand. You catch that? No matter what happens, if God lets them go into the furnace, they're still going to be delivered. If God uh, spares them some other way, they're still going to be delivered. They're saying, no matter what happens here, King, we're on the winning side of this situation. Because God's going to take care of us no matter what. I love that. No matter what happens, whether we live or die, we live under Christ, if dying is gain. I mean, you see the illustration of the, of the Word of God? They know that no matter how this turns out, it always turns out for their benefit. Amen. And it's just all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are the called according to his purposes. Amen. And that's what we're seeing here. And they know that and they're claiming that we're still going to be delivered out of your hand. They understand this fact. All Nebuchadnezzar can do is kill their bodies. He has no power after that. Think about that. Matthew 10, 28. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. Amen? But rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. It's not that they're being disrespectful in the matter. I mean, there's... I don't want to die in that fire, but I'm really not wanting to burn in eternity. Amen? Uh... I, my physical death at your hands does not seem pleasant, and eternity in hell seems a whole lot worse. Amen? If I'm going to put fear on anybody, I'm going to fear God, which means in reverential trust, but if I'm going to put that fear on anyone, I'm going to fear God who's capable of doing a whole lot more to me for disobedience than you're able to do to me for obeying Him to begin with. Amen? Lord, help us. Uh, we live in a day where when per and, and, and the Bible warned us of this day of apostasy, 
But when the going gets tough and when the path gets rough and when the persecution comes, many fall away. Amen. It's only by the Holy Spirit of God that we'll be able to withstand and things. I, I think about it, I, I'm like, Lord, what would I do? You know, I've always thought, you know, I, I mean, I know me, I know my, my characters and, and personality, and I'll be honest with you, and I've said this multiple times throughout my ministry, I don't know how well I would handle being persecuted in the Middle East and stuff with the threat of being, you know, beheaded and all those other stuff and everything else that they do. But it does occur to me that the conviction of who Christ is and what he's done for me and the necessity of salvation for everyone around me, it does occur to me that through the Holy Spirit of God and only through his spirit, but through the Holy Spirit of God, like I do, I would, I think that on none of us, if we were put in the position, now we would, like these Jewish boys, they would not seek to be martyred. They didn't run out there and make a show of it because they wanted everyone to see how brave they were. They got brought before the king. They weren't trying to have all that attention. We don't seek to be martyred. None of us here are out to, to show how spiritual we are and how we're never bowing down to, to anything. But, you know, if the persecution came, I do believe the Holy Spirit would come on each and every one of us that's saved. Knowing that it, well, I didn't ask for this, Lord. I'm not in control of this, Lord. You know, they came through our doors during a service or whatever. I believe the Holy Spirit would take care of everything. And, and if, if people were martyred in, for our faith, um, I don't think we'd understand. I just think that the Holy Spirit of God would take over for us. And that'd be that. Amen. Um, what, a, what a thing to have to think about in this day and age, but we're there. So we see here then. After they have boldly refused, verse 19, Nebuchadnezzar is full of fury. Does it feel like the world's getting full of fury today, folks? Amen? And does it seem like they're getting full of fury towards those who are trying to do righteously? Does anyone else feel like that? If you're standing for what's right, you're being met with the fury of the world that's against us. And so it says here, I mean, he changed his whole continent, his visit, it changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore, he spake and commanded that they should uh, heat the furnace one seven times more. So here we go. We got the king's rage against God's faith. Well, I'll tell you what, um, fear government. <laughs> Amen. Fear government. Not only what they're capable of doing, but fear what they're willing to do to maintain control over people. All right. So keep that in mind. Uh, when the world cannot cause the faithful of our Lord to bend and compromise, they just become all the more enraged at us. See that? Illustrated here in Daniel chapter 3 for us. Uh, the king, full of fury. I mean, he's uh, crank it up. Make it as hot as it can go. Throw more coals in or whatever they're using back then. I'm sure they weren't worried about climate change back then, so I guess coal's probably still safe. Amen. Yeah, that one's free. Now, catch this, though. I want to point this out. The accusers, the Chaldeans, I go back to my first thought here. Those that envied the Jewish, the Jew, uh, the, the Jewish comrades, if you would, of, of Daniel, those that were 
gaining attention, popularity, and influence with the king. So there was envy. They went there. They needed to, to get into the middle of that. They were trying to hinder that relationship from developing. These were their accusers. I want to point this out. They're perishing in the same fire as those that they've accused now is what we see. Amen? They've cranked it up so hot, now they've got to be the one. Do you think the king going to throw them in himself? Come on, you're going to do his dirty work for them. So he's got them opening that. You know, they're trying to throw these, throw, throw the Jewish men in there, and, and they're getting burnt up. You know what I thought? Don't get burned by the fire of your own envy. Amen? Don't get burned by the fire of your own envy. And that's exactly what happened to them. They were so full of anger and envy and so wanting to cause hurt to these Jews that they went and opened their mouth and ran their mouth and went talking to the king and got these Jews, uh, these three Jews in front of the king and now they're getting burned in the same fire for doing it. Isn't that a valuable lesson we can learn in life? Don't get burned by the fire of your own envy. I looked at this and we've been, uh, if you're following the devotionals on the podcast, we talked about James there with the fire of the tongue, their own mouth caused them to set on fire the course of nature. You see that? Their own mouths did it. Do you know why? Because their heart wasn't in the right place. Their mo- they didn't care about that king's decree. Their motive wasn't because they wanted to preserve equal uh, application of law in the land. Their motive was that they wanted to have those boys, those three Jews killed. Their motives were in the wrong place. It just shows you that man will even use law to his advantage to destroy his enemy and get his way. Amen. And that's what we've seen here. Now their own mouth has set on fire the course of nature. And for them, that was an untimely death. Now let's, I don't know, we'll probably not finish the chapter here, but... Let me get to this part here in verse 25. The king answered. Now remember, they've been thrown in. They're inside the fire, right? You'd think they would have perished already. Now the king, the king's able to see in. So this is a big furnace, right? This is a big, big deal. Well, think about it. They've got room to run around inside of it, move around inside of it, right? You can see inside of it. And the king's looking in. And here they are. They're moving around. They're walking in the midst of the fire. They've got no hurt on them. But here's this. The king is shocked at what he sees. And he's like, uh, how many did we put in the fire again? It was three, right? But I see four. Amen. I see four. Uh, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the son of God. Now, who do you think that is? Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus Christ, the son of God. Aren't you thankful today that Jesus is in the fire with us? Aren't you thankful that if we're going to go through the fire of our faith, we're not going to go through it alone? Those that are willing to suffer for Christ have His gracious presence with them. You see, these men have been thrown in this fire, but they're not even suffering in it. I can't even say that they're suffering for the cause of Christ. No, but they were willing to. 
And God blessed them for what they were willing to endure for his sake. They were, no, I don't, sometimes the Christian goes into a fiery trial of his faith and the people on the outside are looking in like, that's got to hurt. And because the presence of God and the grace of God is so abundantly shedding upon them while they're going through it, they're not even hurt by it. It doesn't even phase them. Because God has not left us comfortless. Jesus Christ has sent us a comforter. And so they exited the fire for all to see. We gotta, I got to get through these next four verses here. Just let me read these. Verse 26. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God, come forth. And come hither, I bet he changed his tone quite a bit at this time. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth of the midst of the fire. And the princes, governors, captains, kings, counselors, kings gathered together, saw these men upon whose body the fire had no power, nor was a hair of their head singed, neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed on them. Amen. That literally happened. That's exactly what happened. Now, I'm sure all kinds of people in the world want to try to find some weird explanations. Listen, not even a hair singed. Two days ago, I got too close to the campfire and my hair singed. And it sure wasn't a fiery furnace either. Cranked up one seven times hotter than the hottest fire ever made by a man because this king, if he built the biggest statue, I'm sure you, he had the hottest furnace. Amen? He was going to make them pay the price. This is a miracle of God. Not one hair singed. It tells us here that (laughs) nor the smell of fire had passed on them. They didn't even smell like smoke. And this miracle of God's deliverance is witnessed by all those that also bowed down and worshipped the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And you know what it made them realize? I'm worshiping the king's image. He's done nothing for me. But their God just saved them from that fiery furnace. Amen? That's what the difference is between Christianity and all those other religions. Our Savior does something for us. They have no idea if what they do even pleases God. Because we know it doesn't. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Amen? Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who hath sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they may not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Uh, I don't have time to expound on the um, significance of a king changing his degree, decree, but I can tell you it, it, it cannot be done. Alright, so the only person, the only way a king's decree can be changed is if the Almighty and the Sovereign above all kings, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, has his hand in that situation to turn the hearts of kings wherever it should go. Okay, so it cannot be done except through God's intervention, which we've seen here. Therefore, I make a decree that every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made a dunghill, because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So, never again could they be accused 
here they go getting promoted again. So we've seen Daniel get promoted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So boy, that really blew up in the Chaldeans' face, didn't it? They didn't work out very well for them. And uh, what a lesson I, that we can learn from that, amen? Just let God be God. Let's pray so we're not run out of time here. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this lesson. Thank you for taking care of your children, Lord. Um, I, I believe everyone here in our Sunday school class has been through at least a couple fires of, of their faith in their life. We don't know what kind of trial of faith we may be asked to endure. But what we learned in our study this morning is that you bless even the willingness to suffer for you. And that when we are willing to suffer for you, you oftentimes will deliver us from even having to go through it. Um, but even if you don't, Lord, we know that you will still deliver us according to your will and your way and, and, and the way that you want to. And we're thankful for your sovereignty. We're thankful that you do all things to be glorified and that you may allow us to go through things in life that bring you glory, even if we don't understand it while we're going through it. God, you're good to us and we're thankful for you today. Thank you for our Sunday school class. I ask that you help everyone that wants to be here this morning make it into church today. And Lord, I hope that we have a blessed worship service, that we'll worship you in spirit and truth, and that you'll receive a blessing from us today because we are thankful for everything that you've done for us, Lord. Thank you for meeting with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.